So we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Before we get started, um, some of you are curious about what I was thinking about this year and have asked, what's your vision for the church? And in a concise way of every member a minister. I think it's so important that we get back to a basic understanding from the scriptures that we are one body and members in particular. And we're to build up the body of Christ by utilizing our giftedness and the grace that we've been given in Christ. Every member a minister. And for this year, um, Isaiah 6, or Hosea 6.3 is a powerful verse. Uh, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like rain, the latter and the former rain to the earth. Now, we've all been ca caught a time or two in the middle of a downpour, have we? Not outside, and you just absolutely get soaked. Well, the Lord wants to soak you this year. <laughs> he wants you to just enjoy him. And that actually comes through meditation. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, the Eastern thought of meditation. <laughs> it is the reading of the scriptures, giving it thought, contemplation, and prayerfulness as you're working through a, a scripture. And so what comes with that is transformation. You want to grow in your faith? You want to become more Christ-like? Then learn how to meditate in God's word. Read the scriptures, pray the scriptures, and wait upon the Lord, and the transformation will come. What happens in meditation is illumination, revelation, and inspiration. Those are three things that are vital to our spiritual growth. So at the end of the service, if you want to have an extra shot of the Holy Spirit and you feel like you need prayer and you need to lay down your sorrows and your cares and the burdens that you've been carrying all of 23 and you want to start afresh because it seems to be what we do every year, the beginning of the year, we want to start fresh with new goals. If you want someone to pray with you, come on up. We have the front pew here on both sides are uh, vacant for you. Uh, an elder will pray with you. If you need uh, further and want somebody to really talk to you about what you're going through, we have a prayer room in the back that you can spend some time with uh, one of the elders. And we just want people to be prayed for and encouraged and strengthened. That is such an important thing. This is a spiritual hospital. This is where the family of God meets. This is where we come to have our needs met and be vulnerable as it were before the Lord and with one another. So just want to encourage you with that. In saying that, let's go to Matthew 21. I, I always think about prophecy a lot. If you study uh, church history, uh, they... The dedicated believers gave themselves to the study of the word, and they also gave themselves to understanding prophecy. Prophecy in the coming of Christ has a purifying effect. If I believe that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment in time and take his church, or 
by natural causes, I leave this body and I enter into heaven, there's just a having that anticipation that at any moment in time, I'm one step away from eternity. It's a purifying effect. And I think that's so important to have that. And uh, throughout church history, we see people who had a zeal for the word of God. And they had a zeal for seeking to understand prophecy. And so we're going to get into that. I don't talk about it a lot, but when we get to it, like a lot of things, when we get to it, we, we go for it, right? And so stand with me as I read through verses 5 through 28. The days will come. Then some spoke of the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said. These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be... And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time has drawn near, and therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, deliver you up into the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. These are the days of vengeance, and all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people." They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power. In great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. There are those in the Christian community, in the patriot movement, 
that believe that 2024 will be a very dramatic year. They're looking for a lot of things to change in a dramatic way, or possibly our freedoms being snatched from us. No one knows the future like that, but we have signs of concern. The financial system is uh, broken. It's just a matter of time when the printing presses will stop and things will come to a halt. And it's very fearful and scary to think about what we've gotten ourselves into with this banking system the way it is, our tax, the taxing of the people, the corruption that's within government. We are rotten top to bottom throughout our judicial system. It's, it's really a mess because we have forsaken God, essentially, and now we are reaping what has been sown. But there's always hope. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? You know, it's God's looking for faith because one of the things that we learn from Scripture is that God's able to separate the righteous from the wicked when he measures out judgment. And God loves his people and he'll take care of us in the middle of whatever happens. If it's dramatic and overwhelming, God will be with us. So take heed, do not be fearful. I think we should press on to know the Lord, keep our faith strong and growing in our faith. And no matter what happens, God will be with us. So I answer to those who are caught up in preparations, those that are looking for this thing to blow up in the Middle East in World War III, and you, all these kinds of things, uh, as it's mentioned here in verse 9, commotions. <laughs> you know, are, you, are we going to change uh, that by worrying about it? The Lord tells us not to be afraid, and so this is uh, what we want to cover this morning. Notice here as we open this up here how uh, Jesus had been ministering. This is, uh, he's just a few days away from being crucified, and he's in and out of the temple each day teaching the people, and as they are getting ready to depart, the disciples say, wow, isn't this really a cool building, this temple? And they spoke of the temple, how it was adorned. You know, see, this is the temple that Herod built 46 years, according to John 2.20, in building this temple. And then the ongoing uh, accoutrements that were added to it, the decorations. I mean, this is like one of the wonders of the world at the time, right? Uh, it was quite a sight to behold. White marble stones, 76 feet long, 18 feet wide, 12 feet high. The Doors were gold and silver. These beautiful Babylonian tapestries hung uh, around the temple area. And the Jews, they reveled in this. They gloried in how magnificent the temple of God was. You know, they thought the temple was an enduring fixture, that Yahweh would never allow the Gentiles to come in and destroy this temple. Uh, even in Jesus' day, there was an ongoing work there. Uh, and, and his disciples. In fact, uh, it was 46 years in building it, but it was not actually completed until actually six years before it was destroyed. Uh, in 64 AD is when the, the construction came to an end. And so it's just amazing, you know, how man will put the emphasis on the outward and the beauty of things outwardly but inwardly we know it was corrupt and so it's the form of godliness 
but deny the power thereof type of thing. And we're in that place today, are we not? The church puts on a front that we're something special. We, we have these mega churches. We have little churches. We have churches all over the country. And yet we have the greatest corruption that we've ever experienced in our nation's history presently going on. So it's, a, it's an outward show, not an inward reality. But Jesus will answer the th- these questions, and this is uh, the outline for our message this morning. These three questions, the stones, those huge boulders, how could they possibly be come down? How could they possibly be turned over? And it just sounded like an impossible thing to happen. When will these things be? That's they, what they wanted to know. Matthew and Mark also cover this passage, be Mark 20, uh, 13 and Matthew 24. Uh, when will these things be? Number two, what sign when these things were about to take place? And then Matthew only, what will be the sign of the end of the age? So um, we'll cover these here. Eschatology is what the subject matter falls under, prophecy, the end times. It's... It, it's a bigger subject than just the second coming of Jesus. It includes death. It's the time between the two comings. Uh, everything that will happen, the judgment, the millennium, heaven and hell, all that's covered in, it means last things. And I think it's important to understand, I don't think Jesus is concerned about providing a detailed outline of all the events and things that were going to take place between his comings. And I think it's a general outline uh, and things that we should expect and some of the things we are, have seen uh, happen many times over since uh, this was first spoken by him. I think the important thing is, as I stated from the outset here, Jesus is away right now from his church. He's left us in charge to proclaim the gospel and it's up to us to grow and to develop spiritually to be ready for his coming, that our faith and our love for him would grow and be, we would become all that he intends us to be. We're not to neglect our responsibilities. We've got a job to do while we're here. And so this is really a, a passage, is really a warning and an exhortation to be faithful to God, I believe. Um, it, it, from this passage, I think the Lord wants us to have the discernment to to, to know uh, when someone's uh, lying to us. There are many false prophets, many false messiahs, uh, false religions. I mean, if you think about this for a moment, if, if the Lord says he, he is the, the way, the truth, and the life, and you were the enemy, what would you say? You'd create all other kinds of paths. And this is the big lie that's been going on for centuries. All, all roads lead to God. You just, they're all believing in the same one. Well, no. Yeah, well, in one sense it's true. All roads do lead to God, but not all roads end up with the same results, right? You got to know the living and true God. But this is part of the exhortation here that we would be able to discern false prophets. The encouragement to be faithful and endure persecution that is definitely going to come upon the horizon and, and to remain faithful to proclaim the gospel. See, the only thing that the enemy can do right now is to delay 
It's delay, delay, delay. That is his major tactic. He knows he's beat. He knows he's going to lose. He knows of the eternal destruction that awaits him and his cohorts. They're hoping to just push the can, as it were, down the road. And the only way they can do that is to keep the church from doing what we're supposed to do, and that is the proclamation of the gospel. If we will rise up and do our jobs and preach the gospel, and we'll get to this at the end, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, some scholars believe that that is a number, as God has numbers for each group, there's a number for the fullness of the Gentiles. When the gospel has reached the ends of the earth and the last Gentile hears and is converted, then the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled and God's program will move into the next phase. So there's got to be that steadfast proclamation of the gospel. That would be Matthew 24, 14 in that context. So the encouraging thing about prophecies, don't get caught up arguing about it. How can, why should we argue about things that we can't possibly know? I mean, it's just foolishness. You're wasting your time. Enough said. In verse 7... According to the other Gospels, Mark and Matthew, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they had this little exchange there in the courtyard, like, wow, check this building out. This is so cool. And then they walked down the Kidron Valley, up into probably to the Mount of Olives there, maybe the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't really know. That's one of his favorite places to be. And they were just sitting there. And then it tells us that Peter and Andrew... James and John, those four, were sitting next to Jesus. Would you tell us a little bit more about this? That's where those three questions come come about. And so he actually answers the first one, or the last question first. And he said to them in verse 8, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am. And the time will draw near... Uh, and therefore do not go after them. So we know that the time between his first coming and his second coming will be a time of deception. We know that there will be false prophets and false messiahs. And what's what's the agenda here? What's Satan after? He wants to deceive people. He wants people not to not know the truth. And so Jesus said, take heed, pay attention. We're commanded to do that. One of the biggest things going on today is fake news, propaganda. This is the whole idea, if you are familiar with Revelation, when the rider on the white horse, the four horsemen, the first one's the guy on the white horse. He has a bow with no arrows. He's the Antichrist coming with peace. He's a liar. He's going forth to conquer and to conquer by means of peace. He's lying to the people. So the Pew Center, uh, if you look on that, that's an extensive research group uh, in the Internet and Technology section. Uh, They approached a panel of about 50 experts um, talking about the great challenges that we would face in the 21st century. And one of them was reporting news and the shape of truth and Quote, truth is no longer dictated by authorities, but is networked by peers. So for every 
fact, there's a counterfact. All these counterfacts and facts look identical online, and what it does is leads to confusion, and that's the enemy's tactics, to bring confusion. The, quote, the rise of fake news and the proliferation of doctored narratives that are spread by humans and bots online are challenging publishers and platforms. Those trying to stop the spread of false information are working to design technical and human systems that can weed out and minimize the ways in which bots and other schemes spread lies and misinformation. The question is, in the next 10 years, will trusted methods emerge to block false narratives and allow more accurate information to prevail in the overall information of the ecosystem? Or will the quality and veracity of information online deteriorate due to the spread of unreliable, sometimes even dangerous, social destabilizing ideas? But that's not really the issue, is it? The issue is who regulates the truth? Who's regulating the regulators, right? Who's making the judgment of what's true and what's false? Now, there are those who know that AI is being developed by human behavior. That's why they record everything we do. They're training the AI, and they've been doing it for a number of years. And they're feeding it a different kind of truth, if you will. It is a truth that is not based in absolutes at all. It's your truth, my truth, everybody else has their truth. Well, you can't trust those gatekeepers. You cannot trust them. But we can trust our gatekeeper. Jesus is the truth. That's why it's so important. This is why we preach and teach the word of God. The Lord will never lie to us. He will never lead us astray. We don't have to understand everything to know that he's in control and he's got us. We have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit, we have discernment, we have an understanding. Thank the Lord we have the Bible. You know, here's the thing. Pay attention and be watchful. Time has a way of revealing the true nature of things. It just does. The truth always comes out in the end, does it not? Yes. We are to love people. We're not to be naive as Jesus said, we're to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Here's the principle that we should live by. Consider all men godly until proven otherwise, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt until that doubt is dispelled, right? Be kind and be curious, despite how we may be treated. So it would be a time of deception. There's never been a time greater than the deception that's going on right now. It's incredible, the lies and the misunderstanding that people have. Another characteristic or sign of the time between the two comings would be a time of war. Wars and rumors of war. And you know what the first casualty of war is, right? Truth. Always is the first cap. It is always built upon lies. And then he says here, wars and commotions. Uh, Akeda, stay 
This is the Greek word there. A means no, keta means down, status is disorder. No uh, standing. Disorder. It is a time of upheaval, of unsettled affairs with the nations, with relationships. It's all over human relationships. And what does Jesus tell them? In verse 9, do not be terrified. This is one of the greatest things that you and I have to deal with as human beings is fear. There's so many things in our lives that can create insecurity. What's going to happen tomorrow? Well, what about gas prices? What if the economy does fail? What about the banking system? The more you listen to and read that fake news and propaganda, what will increase in your life? Fear. It is made to create that because people who are fearful and insecure are a lot easier to control. So, be very careful with what you read. Terrified is the word here. Startled or alarmed. Don't get all bent out of shape. Now, there's some people you got to pinch them to see if they're awake, right? And then there's other people on the other end of the extremes. Anything happens. Like, Right? See that you're not troubled. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be alarmed. Just take care and watch. Why? Because the normal response to fear is panic. And if you panic, you're not going to see the options. You're going to be paralyzed with fear. You're not going to understand or see or pick up on the options that might be available to you because you're too emotionally engaged in being afraid. And this is what Jesus said. This stuff's going to happen, but that's not the end. It's going to be part of this age that we live in, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Think about the things that are going on. I, I think it's, it's, it's very similar to when the Lord and two angels came down and visited Abraham. You know, we just thought we'd come down and check out what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah because it's reached to heaven and we just wanted to make sure before we judge the place that it's really as bad as we think it is and know it to be. We need an eyewitness here. Well, we know what happened. And it's, we're at that same point today, right? The crimes against humanity are rampant. Christian persecution around the world, not on our shore, as like it is other places, but it doesn't I believe it's going to wash ashore at some point? Infanticide, the evil people that are in control, the governments, the tyranny that's taking place. This is what we are to expect, and this is again been fulfilled. The very words of Christ have been fulfilled. The next thing on the list is natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, and pestilence, which follows those kinds of natural disasters, that of disease. You know, and if you read, you'll be well informed on all the bad things that are happening with uh, those things. Another thing to make us afraid. And Mark 13, 8 calls these the beginning of sorrows. Now, uh, this is, oh, wow, this is just the beginning. <laughs> Can we stop now? No. <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, birth pangs literally is the word uh, translated there in Mark 13, 8. The beginning of sorrows is birth pangs. Uh, ladies who are moms 
It's the Braxton Hicks taking place, right? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I don't know. I heard my wife do that once. <laughs> it's an uh, irregular contraction that takes place because the womb is warming up, right? It's going to bring forth and enter into real labor. So Braxton Hicks is the milder and um, not regular where real labor... Uh, are close together and they when they come in waves. So uh, when you see the Braxton Hicks taking place around us, we know that the birth is coming. That which Jesus predicted is coming. We've been watching this take place for 2,000 years. The birth pangs, fearful sights, great signs from heaven, the time of persecution. What? Check. Look at verses 12 through 19 there. This is what to expect. This is what's been going on. Incarceration, they lay hands on you, they seize you. And what it really is, is the loss of freedom. That's what tyranny is all about. They want you under their thumb and control you. They want to take you, take your freedoms away from you. There's persecution, they are concerned nothing but causing pain and suffering and just harassing people. And of course, imprisonment delivered to the authorities before uh, kings and rulers as many of the disciples ended up being martyred then later on for their faith. And see, the point is God will use you. He will use me as a testimony. This is, it's for, he says, for my sake. So uh, we're to focus on our testimony during our trials not our sufferings. It's so easy to, to, to get the woe is me. My trials are hard. Would you take my trials? I'll trade you trials. <laughs> it's easy to focus on our sufferings when we really should be focusing on our testimony and our opportunity. Where's God in all this? Well, God is with you. He promised never to leave us or forsake us through our trials. So it should become our focus, not our sufferings. Consider those opportunities that God might present to you. Expect We should be expect these things. Oh, it's so hard. How many of you, when you come to, Christian, you, to Christ and became a Christian, you thought, wow, finally I've got my act together and things are going to straighten out and be well and good for me. And then all hell broke loose, right? You had temptations and trials and issues. That you, where did this come from? I thought becoming a Christian would make my life easier. In some ways it is. You have no longer guilt, you have peace, you have joy, but on the other side of that is trials and temptations that you never experienced before. And so what Jesus is doing, he's warning us. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. You gotta, you know, not have these expectations. This is what gets us into trouble. This is why many are offended by God. They don't expect certain things to happen to them because, well, after all, we're, we're a child of the king. We belong to God. Why wouldn't let any bad things happen to us? And we should expect to be betrayed. We should expect to be hated. We should expect him to protect us and keep us as he sees fit and leave all those results to him. In your patience, you possess your soul. What, is, what does that really mean, right? 
you procure your salvation through endurance. The word patience there is hupomeno. It is endurance. It is steadfast endurance. It's keeping your hand to the plow regardless when your leg is bleeding, your heart is broken. You don't take your hand off the plow and you keep plowing. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. You never give up your hope. We're to always have hope during this chaotic time. Keep your head. Don't panic. Don't be deceived. Don't let your love grow cold. Matthew 24, 12, it's not in this particular text that was covered in, as he covered it in Matthew's gospel. But because lawlessness would abound, the love of many would wax cold. You see, that's the whole idea. More evil, the more hatred, the more darkness, the harder people's hearts become. And the harder people's hearts become, the less likely they are to turn to God. That's the enemy's ploy. He wants people to harden their hearts. Have you seen it? I mean, you look at today's world and some of the... It's just, it's so shameful and hurtful to even speak of the things that other human beings can do to other humans. It's unreal. The hardness of heart. It's demonic in many ways. That is the first question. What are the signs of the times and the end of the age? And then he answers the second question in verses 20 through 24. When will these things be? Like what they're thinking is like, when's this temple coming down? Now let's stop for a moment. What did the disciples believe about Jesus? Number one, that he was the Messiah, right? That they're going to rule and reign. He's already told them. They're going to be sitting on thrones judging the 12 nations. In their minds, as they're sitting there with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, and they're having this little exchange, and he's, he's, he's giving them the lowdown. Wait, how could the temple not be here and, and you, during your reign? Wait, hold on. This isn't making any sense. Kind of like when you study prophecy and you read through the book of Revelation. <laughs> right? Like, this really isn't making a whole lot of... Is that, is that symbolic or is that... Wait, wait. You know, you get a little befuddled with it sometimes, right? They're try, they can't get their minds around. So when was... Okay, all right. You don't lie. You always tell the truth. So when's it going to happen? Am I going to be alive? Am I going to go through this? Isn't that how we try to fit our little prophetic understanding into our lifetime and our span? <laughs> how foolish that is. You know, because I believe it, then, then it's going to happen. Well, there's a lot of things about prophecy that are cryptic. And it's some things we just can't possibly understand from our perspective. But we can't understand what it means to trust the Lord. We can know, we can know what it means to love each other to care for each other, and to be obedient as servants. Well, so when will these things be, this destruction of the temple? Okay, when, here's, here's a big clue. When the armies are all around the city. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I, that makes sense. <laughs> and if they do, run. He says, flee. 
These are the days of vengeance. Yes, the Pharisees, the rejection of Messiah, there's a comeuppance for that. Now the, the payback. People who believe, who do not believe God, that reject Jesus Christ, this is the best they're going to have. This is their heaven. There is, a, there is a day coming when all will stand before the judgment seat of God and they'll give an account. For the righteous, it isn't about sin. It's about our works. It's about how we used our life to glorify Him. But for those who've rejected God, they'll be judged by their evil works. And to the degree that they've shamed and to the degree of their guilt will be the degree of their punishment. However that works out. But it's the day of vengeance. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. You know, many people, because God hasn't struck them with lightning yet, God hasn't killed them yet, so then that must be God doesn't really care. And so they misread the patience of God. But understand this, just as there will be a day of vengeance and God judged the establishment for the rejection of the Messiah, God will judge all men. And then he goes on to say, woe. This is a powerful word. Uh, means discombobulated. To be taken apart is an expression of great grief and discomfort and unhappiness. Woe to those who are pregnant. The nursing babies, great distress in the land. There'll be great wrath upon the Jewish people. Death, captivity. And then in verse 23 and 24, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Uh, we have history to look back upon and see that the very words that Christ uttered came true and were fulfilled. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that, but I do want to entertain the thought of the end of chapter, at the end of verse 24 there. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Do you understand that phrase? The times of the Gentiles. God chose Israel to be his nation because the nations in chapters, uh, chapter 11 of Genesis rebelled. So God said, okay, fine. I'll make my own. Got this barren woman, kind of like her. Got a husband, he, he's got issues too. We'll just start a new nation. The nation of Israel is a miracle, right? And they're his people. They're, they're, they belong to him. And they were, as they brought them out of Egypt and established them in the promised land, they would, if they would obey, they would be what? The head. And all the other nations would be the tail. They would be the leader of leaders. But if they rebelled against him, they would become the tail and suffer consequences. And so God labored long, patient. You read through the minor prophets. You read through the prophets of the Old Testament. You read through all of Moses leading them through the, how stubborn these people were. And finally, God gave up, as it were, and gave them over to their sin and sent them into Babylonian cavity. No longer to be the head, but now to become the tail. So what happened as we read through the book of Daniel, who was taken in slavery as a eunuch there in a court, Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 2, chapter 7, 
Chapter 2 is the kingdoms of the world from man's perspective. Chapter 7, the kingdoms of the world from God's perspective. He sees them as beasts. In chapter 2, there's a great image. That, those two chapters explain to us what the time of the Gentiles are. And we know that there's the head of gold, there's the chest and arms of silver, right? Those of you who are familiar with chapter 2, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of, and feet of iron and clay. So we had the Babylonian kingdom, we had the Medes and the Persians take over them. The Grecians subdued the Medes and the Persians, and then Rome took over the Greeks. And then the Roman Empire would, as it were, come in two phases. Uh, we've seen that early on, and some people believe that the Roman Empire never quite really died, and it may come back again in form of a ten nations, ten districts of the world. Daniel 7 sees that as Babylon as the lion, the Medes and the Persians as a bear, Greece as a leopard, and the Roman Empire and the revised Roman Empire as the fourth beast, incredibly awesome and dreadful, which is going to be the last world governing empire. This is the chart of the times of the Gentiles. And then you have another phrase is not to be confused with this, and it is the fullness of the Gentiles, and that would be in Romans 11.25. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. What is Paul alluding to? As I mentioned earlier, there are those that believe that between the time of Christ and the Pentecost and the rapture, the ingathering of the nations through the preaching of the gospel, God adding to his body, Jew and Gentile forming one, that period of time when the last Gentile bows his heart and accepts Christ and that full number is brought together, then the church age is completed. That is the fullness of the Gentiles. It's talking about the remnant that God is taking out of the world. And those are important things if you're into studying prophecy uh, to sort of have those two pillars uh, to hang your thoughts upon. Now, 20, as we finish up here, 25 through 28, he then answers the second coming questions. There'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. Now, this tells me that the coming is not too far away. It says... Uh, in the middle of 25 there, and on earth distress of nations with perplexity. Now, uh, distress, we all kind of know what that word means. It's one of those ones we want to avoid. <laughs> we don't want to experience distress, right? Uh, perplexity uh, is an interesting word. Literally means without means. It's, it's being at a loss or essentially having no way out of your predicament. And we are rapidly... We have, enter, I believe we've entered into no man's land. This is why people are so afraid of, of the economic system and how vulnerable it is right now. What's the answer? Well, just go print some more money. Well, there's a, there's a cost to that at some point. The ink's going to run dry, and then what? When people lose faith in our money system, 
it will collapse and the fall will be great. This is what he's talking about, seas roaring, seas, uh, the idiom of the world, the uproar, the chaos that's going to be created, men's hearts failing them for fear. The powers of the earth of heaven will be shaken. I mean, could you imagine that happening and everything that we've come to know and trust and lean upon? Don't we have this thing, a little side note here, don't we have this thing, as long as we have money in the account, we have peace. The the accounts get drained, works thin, the bills keep coming. You know, money's got kind of like a bird, it makes wings and flies away, right? You know, and that feeling causes distress. That's why we have to really have faith and trust. You know, God has ravens that can bring us food if necessary. And I'm telling you, if if there was ever a time that you need to just get serious with your walk with God, it's now. Because you will not be able to pull faith from a vacuum. If you haven't been practicing what I've been preaching, because I try to practice what I preach, and I mean meditation and Bible reading and coming to really know the Lord and let Him rain on your soul and pour out His Spirit upon you and fill you with faith and hope and love. If you need to be walking in that so when all hell breaks loose, and it will happen, you ready? This is not our home. Come on. We are just passing through. Well, I just want to have as many creatures comforts as possible while I'm here, (laughs) you know. Well, and God's not against that necessarily. But that's not what we're looking to at. We're looking for. We're looking to Him. Men's hearts failing them for fear. What are you afraid of? Where's your insecurity? Can you, do you have faith enough to bring that insecurity and that fear before God? Say, look, look, I'm a little freaked out by this, Lord. That's what it really means to walk with the Lord. It's not complicated. I share everything with God. And if it's bad, I confess it as shameful, and I just, Lord, just take that out of my mind. I need to wipe that. Total disclosure. Total openness. You know what that is? It's called freedom. It's a great thing to walk in the freedom of the Lord. Jesus will be coming on a cloud. Now, there are those who, you know, I try not to pick on people too much about their end times because it is a little, there's, there's room for differences. This determine our salvation. Well, you know, there's only one second coming. You know, parousia is in the, in the singular, which I have no problem just because the second coming is in the singular, means, meaning there's only one second coming, how would that necessarily outrule a rapture since that's not the coming? It may be the appearing. I'm not sure how we meet the Lord in the air and then all of a sudden we come back riding horses all of a sudden. So, I don't know. You know what, I'm really not that worried about it. I just want to be with Jesus. <laughs> you know, pre-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, it's all going to pan out, right? <laughs> so it matters. He's got us. I just want to be with him. 
Look up, lift your heads. Your redemption is near. God's got us. He's got us, man. So today and always, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth established as the morning. He will come to us like rain, like the latter and the former rain. Don't you want the Lord to just rain on you, fill you with his love and grace, bring his comfort and encouragement to you? I think that's what he wants to do for you, not only today but always. If you need prayer, please come forward. The team will come back up. We're going to close out with some worship songs. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Continue to just pour out your heart to him. Whatever's burning your soul, whatever sorrow or pain, just bring it to him. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Just bring it all to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement you give us. We barely scratched the surface in knowing you, but Lord, what we've come to to know and understand about you, it just, it's mind-blowing to us, Lord. It's hard for us to <laughs> comprehend the incomprehensible. You're awesome in your power and your love and grace and mercy are immeasurable and you've been so good and so gracious to all of us. Thank you for what you did upon the cross to provide salvation. Thank you for giving us your spirit to save us from ourselves and save us from this world. Thank you for your spirit that enlightens us and teaches us and reveals the heart of God to us. We're just a blessed people and we just want to be in the center of your will. So reign on us, Lord. Reign your presence upon us. Fill us with your love, your grace, your goodness. Bless our day in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?